Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey, everyone. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 272 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Today, I am with a very cool guest, uh, Alina McLeod. Is that how you say it again? Yes, you are correct. <laughs> So welcome. And wow, we were actually supposed to meet in person last week, but mm-hmm. you, you want to you wanna tell that story and how we didn't meet? Uh, yeah, there, there was a bit of a change in plans, you could say. Uh, I just randomly had to take a COVID test and it happened to be positive, even though I would say I had just very light cold symptoms at the time. Uh, thankfully I feel much better now and just got a negative test yesterday. So it looks like I'm going to live. Okay, good. Yeah. And it was surprising because you were already double vaccinated, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, luckily was able to get vaccinated in Armenia, uh, just because I haven't been back to Canada in about eight months now. So I got vaccinated there and then one to two months later I got COVID. And what were the, the brands they had in Armenia? Uh, I believe they had Sputnik, AstraZeneca, and then Sinopharm, the Chinese one. And which one did you get? Uh, AstraZeneca, because that's the only one that Canada currently accepts. If I got the other ones, it'd be of no use to me to get back into Canada. Yeah, it was the same with me. Uh, They had, I I joke with people in Ukraine that I got Sputnik. uh, (laughs) (laughs) They absolutely would not allow it here. Yeah. But yeah, they they had mostly CoronaVac. I got, I thought I was being smart by getting a dose of Moderna, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a month, what, I guess a month or two ago. And it turns out that, cause, I mean, I thought I was smart because it was hard to get. Turns mm-hmm. out it was impossible to get the second dose. So then I had Why? to, because they just ran out of it. Oh. So uh, I'll make a video about it soon, but basically I had to figure out like, okay, maybe I can use Pfizer for the second dose. But either way, it's it's been a very big pain as a nomad to travel in 2021. Mm-hmm. How have you been doing it this last two years during kind of lockdown? Yeah, I mean, there's so many factors that come into whether it's going to be really easy for you or really difficult for you. Obviously, I'm aware that the biggest thing that has allowed me to do that is having a Canadian passport, uh, especially last year. Uh, I actually traveled to every single country that I went to with no problems and no testing. I didn't have my first PCR test until I wanted to get back into Canada. Wow. And what were some of those countries? Uh, So I started with Greece because that was the first country that I remember was like, tourists, please come visit us. So I was like, okay, we'll start there. And then I went to Bulgaria, North Macedonia, and uh, Albania. So okay. basically the Balkans. Yeah, I actually, my friends, uh, Engin and Liana, who also have uh, YouTube channels, they went to Albania maybe about two months ago. Mm-hmm. And I have been dreaming about it since. And I actually was looking the other day, now that it was getting cold in Ukraine, to go there and try to enjoy some sun. But they they changed the, the rules. Now you need uh, either a double vax or PCR test to go. Mm, yeah. Back then you didn't need anything. Well, that's the thing. It's actually quite surprising that this year I've, I found I've had more restrictions with, uh, travel than I did last year, which is odd. (laughs) So we'll see how things continue to go, but it does look like these rules will be here for at least quite some time. 
Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, I would say most of my friends back home or most, you know, YouTube or Facebook comments will say something like, oh, I wish I can go, but I'm stuck in Canada, US, you know, Australia, whatever it is. And we just can't travel. And I always think, like, how much time did you actually research, you know, what is open? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's just a general sort of uh, belief that's being spread out right now. I mean, mainly by mainstream media, because I guess they are trying to keep people home, so to say. But uh, if you do have a strong passport, and you're open to destinations that maybe aren't like Western Europe or something like that, there is actually a lot of places that are open. Yeah, and actually, it's been good for, I don't know, I don't want to say tourism to lesser known places, but it's kind of like how countries used to uh, fight to have the Olympics hosted in their city just to put it on the map. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the only way people would even hear about some of these cities is, you know, the Olympics were going there. I feel like with COVID travel, it's the same opportunity where a lot of these countries, like Albania, for example, I never even considered going to, maybe I had never even heard of it until you know, I found out that they had uh, an easy program to go, you know, um, and I, I wonder if a lot of countries, you know, that people normally go to like Thailand uh, or Indonesia, Bali, like those places will lose their, their mega fans and their tourism and uh, places that had made it easier are going to start kind of popping up. Well, that's exactly it. I think that's exactly what's going to happen because as somebody who went to Thailand for the first time, mind you, uh, this year, and it was the most like hoops I've ever jumped through to get to a country, it was 100% worth it in my particular case. But honestly, like if I was to go somewhere else for a vacation, I wouldn't put up with that. Like I wouldn't go through all of this paperwork, testing three, four times, all that kind of stuff. I would just go somewhere that's very easy and seems interesting. And that's a lot of these kind of smaller up and coming sort of countries. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm actually the exact opposite of you. I've been in Thailand pretty much every year for the last 11 years, but this is going to be the first year I've decided not to go just mm-hmm. because I, I don't want to deal with the rule changes. I don't want to deal with most multiple tests and the possibility of, you know, being put in quarantine or yeah. stuck or, you know, something just changing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So one uh, interesting thing I learned from following your Instagram stories and people can follow you at, is it Alina McLeod or? Yes. Just my name at Alina McLeod. Okay. Uh, and you guys can follow at Johnny FDJ, uh, which is my new account because my other one got shut down somehow. But uh, I learned that having the double vax, uh, like, so a lot of people probably had just assumed they're like, oh, you know, how did you get COVID when you were vaccinated? You know, and what's the point of it then? You know, like this is all, you know, BS. Why, well, you know, why get vaccinated if you can still get COVID? I didn't realize uh, that you can still get it, but your symptoms are way lower. And, and that was, yeah. in your case, true, right? Yeah, that that's exactly it. I mean, I I knew there was a chance that I could get it. And to be honest, ever since um, this whole situation has really come, up, I knew that it's not a matter of if most likely it's just a matter of when. So in a way, I I don't know if I did get it before and didn't really notice, but I have a feeling that if this was officially my first time getting it, I am grateful that hopefully the vaccine made it easier on me. You know, it's like, uh, I wouldn't 
want to be like coughing up <laughs> a lung every single time or have a super high fever. I didn't have any of that. I just had your regular sort of cold and congestion sort of symptoms. Yeah. So it sounds like it probably did help and you've survived through it very quickly without any major issues. So congrats. Yeah. 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 Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So now we can actually hang out in person uh, in a few days from now, but today I kind of wanted just to catch up and kind of find out more about, you know, how you became kind of a, I don't know. I, I stopped using the, the, the term digital nomad, uh, especially when I started making YouTube videos, because I feel like I'm, we are more YouTube content creators than we are nomads. But what, what are your thoughts on that? How'd you, how, you know, kind of get us started, you know, with this as your job? Yeah. I mean, every person's going to be different and I guess it comes down to what is your occupation if you had to put a title on it. So I guess in my case, I would fall into the category of more of a travel YouTuber, content creator, whatever you want to call it, uh, just because that is my, you know, 40 hours a week. That's what I'm putting into it. Eventually, I would like to kind of expand on that and maybe have other businesses uh, outside of just YouTube. But for the last two years, I have been doing it full time, traveling full time. And it's definitely one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. That's cool. And what were you doing before that? Uh, so I've always been a very creative person. And I worked, uh, I guess you could say in the entertainment industry since I was 15. I went to Tokyo for the first time um, when I was 15 and uh, went back there alongside pursuing acting uh, in Toronto. So outside of those things, I also had to have your regular Joe job. So I have like was a waitress for 10 years. I did lots of promotions. I had my own photography business for a while. I've done a lot of <laughs> different jobs, but I didn't realize until I created a YouTube channel that this was still a way for me to be creative, travel the world and uh, be my own boss. That's cool. So when I was actually kind of just uh, getting a little bit kind of background info uh, for this episode, I had saw you have IMBD and you're in a popular um, Japanese <laughs> show, Ataru. Can you tell me about yeah. that? <laughs> wow, you did your research. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, uh, well, actually, no, maybe fortunately, you can't find any episodes online uh, just because uh, Japan has very strong, like, copyright sort of rules mm -hmm. or whatever. But it was a very, very Japanese show where uh, the main character has uh, a disability but he can like see into the future and mm. he helps the police solve crimes and I was basically this character that he watches on TV kind of like itchy <laughs> and scratchy on the symptom on the <laughs> Simpsons and I'm like I don't know his like inspiration or like dream girl or something that like I help him with his like uh, psychic visions or something so it was a very strange show it was a very strange show but I had a really great time filming it and uh it was such a surprise to get it, even though I don't speak Japanese, even at an intermediate level, you could say. Oh, wow. So were your, uh, your, your speaking parts, were they in English or Japanese? Yeah. So my character being on TV, I was actually an American FBI agent. Oh, and... like Scully. Yeah, I don't know if I would say that, but uh, my my outfit also, I feel like it really stood out because you see, I solved crimes in a pool. 
<laughs> and so I had a trench coat, but underneath the trench coat, I had a bedazzled American flag bathing suit. <laughs> oh, cool. And that was my outfit. <laughs> oh, I, I have to see a photo of this. Yeah, <laughs> that's Japan uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> that's so good. Okay, cool. Um, would you and like would you get back into acting uh or are you happy doing youtube you know i would definitely do it again if it was the right opportunities i don't think i'd be happy to go back into the acting world the way i was back in toronto where basically i had to work my whole schedule and life around auditions and just the bureaucracy of even getting into those auditions i wouldn't have the time or patience to do that anymore. But if I had a really good agent, I trusted and, you know, I, I got called in for the jobs that I'm suited for and kind of did it more on the side, that would be great. I'm just not willing to base my whole life around it. Like I did before. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I lived in LA for maybe five or six years. I never really thought about doing acting, but last week, I think, uh, I got called in to do to have a part in a Ukrainian movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they had found me through my YouTube channel and they were looking for an English speaking American. And even though they basically said, you know, hey, you pretty much got the part ready, uh, but we, we still need you to come in and do like a screen test and then come in for like wardrobe fitting and uh, mm -hmm. rehearsals. So it ended up being three different days of me traveling there. And luckily it was in the center, so it wasn't far, but it was a lot of effort to just go there even before recording. And then on the shoot day, I think we started at like nine or 10 PM and they were going to shoot until seven in the morning. Yeah. And luckily I was the second scene. So I got done before midnight and it wasn't that bad. It was actually, you know, quite a, quite a bit of fun. Um, but I was looking at the other people there and I was like, they, they must be miserable working so hard. Uh, they weren't getting paid very much. Mm -hmm. And it's, it doesn't seem like an easy job, like, like walking around with a camera to, and, you know, making our YouTube videos kind of wherever we are in the world and traveling and editing when, when we feel like it, it's so much easier. Oh, yeah. I mean, unless you're at the top of the food chain when it comes to the film industry, everybody else usually has years of working for free. Like, I, I don't even want to think about how much I have worked for free or next to nothing and the crazy hours that you have. And the other thing that just like drove me wild is all the hours that I'd be putting into just auditions. You know, it's not even a job. It's just getting ready for a potential job. All the, I'll just wait till that siren passes. Um, all the hours that I put into auditions just is insane when you think back on it. So unless it's something that you truly love to do and you're willing to put in that groundwork, I wouldn't recommend people try and get into the entertainment industry. Yeah. And I think actually YouTube is the, the ultimate hack because like any, you know, career, some people just aren't going to be cut out for it, whether they're not good at it naturally or they just end up hating it, you know, like not everyone's meant to be a hockey player or a basketball player. And you might be passionate about it and think you'll like it. And once you do it, you realize, you know, actually, I'm either not very good at it or I don't even enjoy it. I think mm -hmm. YouTube is kind of the, the hack where anybody can pick up a camera and just, you know, make their own, um, you know, videos or films, however they want to do it. And if they're good and people like it, 
and they like it enough to continue doing it, they can get discovered that way. I, I think you like if I was going to you know going to actually try to become an actor, I would just try to become you know uh, a YouTube star first, and then if you know directors or uh, producers like you know my style, I don't have to audition. They they'll just find us that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to what medium you're most excited about. But to be honest, I think YouTube is just as challenging as the acting world. And most channels have a, you know, a long road before they take off, if ever, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how quickly your YouTube journey has happened. But only the last two years have I been, you know, able to not have to have another job. Before that, I was posting all the time. And I don't know, making five dollars a video after a year like it wasn't a lot <laughs> so I took a look at your your oldest videos six years ago do you yeah. do you remember what your first video uh I have a feeling this wasn't your first video you uploaded you must have had it another was. one that's hidden really okay no no I I did I you are correct in guessing that I have hidden some videos because initially my channel was going to be a beauty channel I thought okay. oh you know I'm a model I love makeup I love all that kind of stuff uh that's what my channel will be about and yeah I got very few views but yeah my first official video I think is like a models like top beauty products I forget what the exact title is but that models holy grail yes there you go there we go yes that that's what it is and yeah I left that up there just to remind myself of how far I've come because Lord, <laughs> that, that was definitely another world. <laughs> you know, you know, the, the ironic thing is I think that if anyone wants to make a good living from YouTube and have it be a sustainable, uh, long-term uh, kind of career that I would not recommend our, the travel niche. It's, mm. it's tiring. We get burnt out it's exhausting. It's, uh, you know, and it kind of, it's like every time we change countries, we change uh, viewers too, because some people might be really mm-hmm. interested in Ukraine or, or Russia. And then as soon as we go to Turkey or we go to Mexico, like people just, you know, you lose that audience if they rebuild it all. Yeah. So in general, yeah. it's just, it's hard to do. It's expensive. It's, it's hard to, um, you know, it's like we have to deal with the, with travel and the elements, all that stuff. So I've always been jealous of the beauty uh youtubers who can just sit in front of a mirror with a like a light ring be anywhere in the world they can just be home or they're in a hotel room anywhere with a white wall and they can just review products and i and they they get paid so much more it seems like such an easier niche but you're saying that it's i guess it's it's not you know like it's not that easy where everyone would be doing it Uh... Yeah, well, I think it's probably one of the most competitive uh, categories on YouTube. Of course, there are a lot of people who are interested in watching that kind of content. But once again, like the film industry, unless you somehow break through to be some of the top people, the smaller creators usually find it very hard to make any kind of traction. Like you really have to find a way to make yourself stand out. And especially when you're first starting out and have to pay for all of your own products, that's Mm. super expensive, right? It's different Mm. when you're bigger and PR wants to send you everything for free. But when you're first starting out and need like $100 of products for one video, you're definitely in the red. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. So what were some of your first kind of uh, videos that started getting you popular? Like when did that that shift, shift 
kick in? You said about two years ago? Well, two years is when uh, I just said, screw it. I'm going to do this full time, even though I wasn't making the money just yet. But uh, I think the first kind of glimmers of hope that this could be something bigger were on the trips that I did uh, travel wise. Like I went to Japan the last time when I was 25 for a modeling contract and I vlogged you know, some of those experiences around Japan, all of that kind of stuff. And that bumped me up to my first thousand subscribers, I remember. So that was the first time that I felt like I was making progress. And then the second one was when I went to Moldova, Transnistr, uh, Ukraine, and Romania. I did that all in like a month and a half. And I found that those videos did really, really good. So that's when I realized, hey, I've always loved travel. I've actually traveled so much just, um, you know, for my own interest before YouTube. Why couldn't I change my channel more to a travel sort of uh, theme? So it was from those two trips that I started to consider that maybe that's what my content should be. Very cool. So obviously today you're making millions of dollars per video. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, two years ago when you decided to quit and uh, go full time, how much were you making per month from YouTube? <laughs> yeah, see, this is what I don't recommend doing, probably unless you're willing to face the consequences either way. From my actual channel, when I left for my Trans-Siberian trip, because that was that was the trip that I decided to just go for it, I think I was making an average of three or 400 Canadian dollars a month. Oh, okay. So like 300 US or less. Uh, the reason that I also thought that this this could maybe happen is because I got an opportunity from a friend, uh, Alex on Reporter Fine Media. He has an awesome YouTube channel. He uh, basically hired me as like a freelance content creator. So I was filming some stuff for him. And so with his additional, you know, job that I was getting uh, that bumped me up a bit. And then before I left on my trip, I had worked so many extra shifts at my waitressing job to try and have a sort of safety blanket of money. So that's, that's how that trip began. But I also realized that if I went for a full six months, that I would run out of money if mm-hmm. I continued to only make that much. So I knew that this trip had to work out. <laughs> if it didn't, <laughs> I'd be coming home in debt. And I almost just had to accept that. I'm like, are you willing to accept that, you know, this doesn't work out? your channel doesn't grow, you're in debt, you have to go back to your waitressing job. And, you know, I'm basically going to have to put everything on the back burner. And so when I was able to accept that, I would be willing to do that if it didn't work out. That's actually what gave me the bravery to just go for it, because that was kind of my worst case scenario. That's actually really good advice. And that's actually something very similar that that I did. I read about it in Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. And he had a chapter in there that basically, you know, made you do a mental exercise or or write it down and say, if everything messes up, you know, I give it a shot. I give it, you know, I give it six months. I give it a year. I come back with my tail between my legs, it completely, mm-hmm. you know, I'm broke. I'm in debt. You know, I've, I had, I have no car now. I have nowhere to live, no job. How long would it take me to get back into, back to exactly where I am today? And it seems daunting at first, but when you really think about it, I'm like, well, you know, I guess I can just live with my parents for a few months, you know, get another job. I didn't really love my job anyways. 
uh, I can always get another car and buy new clothes. It really wouldn't take me that long, maybe three, four months just to kind of get back to where I am. Mm -hmm. And the upside is I travel the world or I go to Thailand or, you know, uh, which was, which was my, my dream at the time. And I have these cool experiences that'll last me a lifetime. And maybe there's a chance that I might actually figure it out and I might, you know, earn enough to, to stay out there. So yeah. it's, you know, I think this gamble in retrospect was not really that part of a gamble, but it, the upside was, was, was great. Well, that's exactly it. You, you should be well aware of what the worst case scenario could be. And of course, there's even worse than coming back broke, but you know, the most probable worst case scenario, you should be able to just accept and have, have a plan of action if that does happen. But don't get so tied up to that. Like I still was convinced that even if my YouTube channel didn't take off, I would still do this because this was my dream trip. Mm -hmm. I had put off doing this trip for so long because to do the Trans-Siberian, usually I'd recommend you need at least like two to three months to do it justice. So I didn't really have a window of time or finances to be able to do that in the past. So I thought that even if my channel doesn't take off, like this would still be phenomenal. And then if my channel takes off, oh my God, that's even more phenomenal. So if, if you can kind of, you know, focus on the best case scenario, but be aware of the worst, I think that's the most logical way to go forward with it. All right. Well, everyone is uh, at the edge of their seats to hear what happened. Did it take off? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like, uh, I, I think I was 20k before I left, it wasn't a sudden like 100k or 200k sort of sort of scenario. But I think at the end of the trip, I was at 50, maybe something like that in, in, in six months, but my views had gone up a lot, because thankfully, the Russian audience really, hmm. really helped, you know, boost up the views and were super kind. And uh, I also got some new like sponsorship opportunities after I got back. And uh, it, it definitely solidified my belief that I could do this full time, I just had to keep working hard. So it wasn't an overnight sort of success, so to say. Nice. So you over doubled your subscribers from 20,000 to, to 50,000 starting yeah. the sponsorship yeah. deals. I'm assuming that $300 a month uh, grew as well. And was it enough to support? Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, I was trying to spend as little money as possible on my trip as well. I was trying to keep my budget around a thousand Canadian dollars, but probably I did spend a bit more, maybe about 1500. Uh, so my views, I remember in December of that year were like 800,000. And I remember that was the first time that my AdSense had ever gone over a thousand dollars. And I was just like, so psyched. I was so psyched. <laughs> so, you know, all of that kind of uh, just solidified that I could continue going with this. And ironically enough, the reason that I also knew I wanted to keep traveling was because for my budget for travel was less than what I was spending to live full time in Toronto. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't think about that. <laughs> yeah, they think, they think they were spoiled living in, uh, you know, overseas. But yeah, when living in California was expensive, you know, my, my rent was 1500. Yeah. And it's like, I figure for my minimum expenses of you know, three grand a month in California, I can really ball out in other countries. Absolutely. Yeah. Pe people really don't uh, make that connection because a lot of people do 
travel, maybe more in a short-term sort of mentality where, yes, if you were like flying to Paris for one week and then you're flying, I don't know, to Thailand in two weeks, of course, all of that is going to add up quickly. But if you do a slower pace of travel, like with me, I usually get to countries by train or by bus. And I kind of choose an area of the world and stay there for like six months or more. That really cuts out a lot of the long haul sort of expenses like flights and stuff. So if you do it in a sort of, you know, budget and smart sort of way, you can really save a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. I actually wrote about that in my first book, 12 weeks in Thailand, the good life on the cheap. And I told Mm. people just to do the math and say, if your plane ticket is a thousand dollars, and you're only there for a month, you basically need to add a thousand dollars to your monthly budget. Yeah. But if you're there for three months or six months, you can now divide that thousand uh, dollar ticket over six months. And now it's yeah. you know, less than 200 bucks. Totally. Yeah. And I think another big mistake uh, people often make, and especially with those short trips, uh, is they're double paying. They're still paying for their life back home, their yep. rent and their bills and their, you know everything. Uh, and they're paying for that hotel room, that short-term stay in Paris, wherever it is. So their expenses are essentially double or triple. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you prepare for your, you know, your three or six month trips? Well, I was way ahead of this before my big trips even. Um, I don't even know when officially the first time I did it was. Maybe it was actually my first or my, my trip to Tokyo when I was 25, because I was already living in Toronto at the time. I was renting a studio apartment downtown about 900 Canadian dollars a month, which was a lot for me. But I think it was on that trip that I learned the art of subletting. Mm. Even though my building, I don't think technically allowed it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh they just didn't notice (laughs) I mean I tried to choose good people who weren't gonna cause trouble or anything like that and luckily uh every single person I ever had sublet my place which was a lot I think I've had over 10 people who who have stayed in my apartment throughout all my different trips Uh, I never had any issues with they always paid me on time left the place in a good way and yeah I didn't have to pay for my expenses back home and got to have my apartment back when I came back from my trip. That's awesome. That's it's super smart to do that. And also people never really think about it you know, this way. You're helping someone find a rental as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's, yeah, a lot of people, they're just not in a position to sign a year lease uh, or maybe they're not staying for you know an entire year, but they need a place to live. And yeah. it, it's, it's a win-win for literally everybody involved. Oh, absolutely. And my my place was actually a diamond in the rough, you could say, where uh, the reason that I was staying at my place for the seven years that I basically lived in Toronto was because it was like three or four hundred dollars under market. Like Toronto basically had a huge spike in rental prices about a year after I got my place. So every single time I put up my sublet uh, ad, I got, you know, 20 people interested right away because it was significantly less expensive for the area than anywhere else. So the people were more than happy to take it off my hands for two to three months. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm taking a look at your channel now and the four most popular videos all kind of have the same uh, motif or, or theme. Mm-hmm. People want to see what life is like in, you know, kind of un, untraveled to places, right? So in a small town in Ukraine, in uh, Moldova, just now, which is actually the capital, but it's still mm-hmm. kind of very unknown. Small yeah. life in Saskatchewan, which I'm assuming yeah. is uh, the elbow of <laughs> Canada. 
It's right in the center. It's no elbow. <laughs> oh, the armpit. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's better. So, why do you think that is? Oh uh, well, I I mean, I have found that if I had to put a certain kind of niche on my channel, that it would be places that not as many people are talking about. Uh, primarily, you know, a, a Western sort of audience. That is why I focus more on Eastern Europe. Not only because I was born in Ukraine and speak Russian, I kind of have um, an easier time traveling around these parts that maybe. The average Canadian or American would have. So I like to share these kinds of destinations because I think they have a lot to offer. Even Saskatchewan, I think, has a lot to offer. So I try and Even kind of give them their moment. <laughs> it needs its moment in the spotlight, not just Toronto and Vancouver. Oh my God. That's great. So uh, how good is your Russian? Um, Во, вы очень хорошо говорите по-русски. Молодец. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I would say I'm fluent, but I wouldn't be like uh, business conversation fluent. If I had to have a super intelligent conversation and have my gra grammar be 100% correct, I probably would fail at that. But as far as having people understand 90% of what I say, absolutely. And I think the other thing that helps me is that I do have a fairly good pronunciation. So a lot of times, just with the way I look too, people assume I'm a local. Mm -hmm. So that helps as well. I'm very, very jealous about that because I've been <laughs> trying my butt off for the last two years to learn Russian. And uh, and then it, it made it even harder because in Kiev, in the, just the last two years, they switched all the menus from yeah. Russian to Ukrainian. And yep. now I have to learn another language, which I will eventually do uh, if I'm going to be living here. But it's just, I'm like, come on, guys, give me a break. <laughs> Oh, totally. I mean, I, I give you all the props for even trying. A lot of people don't attempt. And uh, it, I think it's a great idea, too, because Russian especially is a very useful language for a world traveler. So it's great you're doing that. But I definitely feel your pain. And uh, with Ukrainian, I'm in the same position. I probably, you know, probably understand more than you do because there are some similarities between Russian and Ukrainian, but it is still basically like learning a new language in and of itself. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why people like watching our channels is because we're able to actually somewhat communicate where you more than me uh, with the locals and have an experience that a lot of people, you know, in the U S or Canada or Western countries where maybe they only speak English might not ever be able to have, you know, they're, they're genuinely mm -hmm. curious about how people live, uh, their mentality, the culture, what it's like, but they know that unless they spent five years, you know, trying to learn the language, they would have a very hard time, you know, showing up and having those experiences while watching your videos, it allows them a glimpse of what that life is like. Totally. Yeah. I mean, as much as English is becoming more and more widely spoken all across the world, like even in my 10 years of travel in the past, I've noticed that more and more countries you go to, it's easier to get by with just English. But knowing another language definitely opens up the world. Like you get a much richer cultural experience if you are able to understand some of a country's local language. You're able to travel to more off the beaten pack 
path uh, sort of destinations because, you know, the further out you go, the less English is going to be spoken. So it really helps to know a second or third language. Yeah. And, and I feel like, especially in Ukraine, the people who don't speak English well, I feel like they're more authentic. <laughs> I don't know if that is the right yeah, word Yeah, they it. are. They yeah, are. But, they're like yeah. of that country. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious, what are your demographics of people that watch your channel? Uh, male, female, uh, countries, things like that. Sure. Uh, well, almost my whole YouTube career, it has been primarily male. Uh, mm. It's like, I think, 75, 25 right now. It used to be even higher before, but I think it's about that right now. And as for age, my top age range is my age range, 25 to 34. And then the one just below it is... Uh, I think it's the 19 to 25. Yeah. Okay. So, and where are they watching from? Uh, primarily US, 20% there. And then Canada and second at like 15, a little bit of UK, Australia. But then I still have a lot of Russians, still got a lot of Ruski friends there. Okay, nice. You know, I was really curious about that because all my YouTuber friends, uh, they have similar demographics actually. And I think that's just the demographics of who watches YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, it's primarily a, a male dominated kind of platform where, you know, maybe like Pinterest might have a bigger female audience. Uh, you know, um, I don't know what TikTok is or Instagram is, but YouTube, I think is, is there's just way more men watching YouTube and my demographics were, and also bottom bankrupts are like 7% female viewers. So I was kind of wondering if, uh, you know, as a female YouTuber, if you would have a much higher uh, female demographic, and it is much higher, actually, it is three times higher. Um, mm -hmm. But I think they're just way more guys either watching YouTube in general, but also maybe interested in the topic of traveling to Eastern Europe. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I think it actually really ranges. First of all, I have no idea like what, what the actual statistics are of on a whole, if it's more men or women watching YouTube on a whole, that I don't know. But I do know a lot of other uh, female travelers or other kinds of content creators and their demographics are totally different. So, uh, yeah, I know like some other female travelers where they're primarily female audiences, they're like 75% female and maybe, you know, 25% male. So I think it is mainly because we're doing Eastern Europe as a niche that is definitely male centric. That's definitely an area of the world where there's more guys tuning into that kind of content. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Because, uh, you know, if you had kept a, the beauty channel, then... Uh, yeah, most likely, not or... as many dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the world's changing. Who knows, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, never know. Yeah. So, what are your uh, travel plans for the rest of the year? Well, uh, I'm actually in the process of figuring that out right now. I definitely know I want to spend the winter somewhere fairly warm, and considering Southeast Asia is either locked down or only has a few places open with really strict rules. I think I'm basically dealing with um, South America. I mean, Central America is an option as well, but I haven't been to uh, South America other than Peru back when I was 17. So I'm fairly set on going to Colombia and Brazil for the winter months. That's cool. 
that was actually my backup plan as well. Uh, one of those countries were Me- or Mexico, um, mm-hmm. which is an American f- favorite right now. But I really want to try to survive a winter in Ukraine. It's I've never, Have I've fun. never had, yeah, <laughs> I, I've never been through winter before. Um, yeah, really anywhere. And and yeah. I actually left California uh, in 2008 because I didn't like winters in California. So we'll see what happens here. Wait, what do you mean? You you haven't experienced a full <clears throat> winter anywhere? Yeah, anywhere in my life. Oh, well then, yeah, you absolutely have to do it. You definitely have to <laughs> feel what minus 20 is like. I don't know actually what the coldest temperature that it gets here, but for sure it'll hit tw- minus 20 at some point. I know that for <laughs> sure. So you definitely need to experience that. Yeah, and for the Americans listening, that's minus four uh, Fahrenheit and 20 I believe is is freezing so Mm -hmm. it's it's very very cold actually I I, I'm not good at the going between Fahrenheit and Celsius Mm -hmm. um but I I believe minus 40 Celsius is the same in Fahrenheit am I right in saying that I think the one number that's the same yeah, I think at some point it it almost doesn't matter anymore. Anything minus is cold. Uh, and I just yeah. looked it up. Actually, forty two Fahrenheit is freezing point. So, uh-huh. oh my god, it's going to be thirty six degrees under freezing, which is insane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the the Russians have a saying saying there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, it makes a huge difference. And uh, when you don't live in that kind of environment, I think it takes you a long time to truly understand what that means. Because uh, when I lived in Saskatchewan, which is one of the coldest places that's inhabited in Canada, anyways, of course, we have like none of it, and you know, up up there in the Arctic Circle or whatever. But uh, in Saskatchewan, we on the regular get like minus 30, minus 40, minus 50 with the wind chill at some point in the winter. And when you grow up in that kind of place, you literally have like three pairs of, you know, long underwear, you have like a pair of sweatpants, and then you put a pair of, um, you know, ski pants over that or whatever. And four layers up here, you get a north face like minus 40 parka or something like that and that's just what you do and everybody drives everywhere so if if you have that kind of mentality well it's not so bad but if you're going to go out in jeans and like a little like jacket or something yeah it's going to be horrible for you (laughs) my my fear all right so i'm thinking it might might be okay because even in ukraine even in the worst apartments you still have good insulation and good heating just because you kind of have to. And I think the reason mm-hmm. why I hated winters in San Francisco was because it would get cold, but it would not get cold enough to invest in heaters or insulation. So yeah. my parents' house where I lived for, you know, first 18 or maybe 20 years of my life was freezing and I hated it. It was, mm-hmm. you know, still probably plus, um, you know, four uh, Celsius. So it wasn't, you know, technically freezing, but it, it felt worse indoors and outside. I think in Ukraine, like it's always going to be, you know, fairly toasty, you know, probably like plus 16 or 20 or something indoors, even if it's minus 20 outside. And mm-hmm. every restaurant has a basement that's kind of heated. And I think it might be okay. We'll, we'll see. You have to check it back in a few months. Oh, well, yeah. 
yeah, no, if, if you live in like a nice modern apartment with a good heating system, it's nice, it's cozy, you can watch the snow fall from your window, you can have some hot chocolate, it's, it's, it's really nice. And uh, thankfully, even Kiev has a metro, right? So mm -hmm. even if you don't want to take taxis everywhere, you can still be fairly warm going through the metro or something. So I don't think it'll be probably that bad for you. Yeah, but well, I might see you down in uh, South America. We'll see. Yeah, you might you <laughs> might change your mind after all. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, kind of some rapid fire questions that I think people want to know uh, mm -hmm. regarding YouTube. What do you film with, and what do you edit with? I have a few different things, but I've used the DJI Osmo Pocket mm. quite a bit, which I really like as a camera. And then the DJI Action, I've been using quite a bit too. I'd say those are like my primary cameras. And as for editing, I bought uh, Wondershare Filmora like seven years ago for $60. Wow. And I've been using it ever since because I'm too lazy to learn Adobe Premiere and I don't want to pay them $20 a month. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm currently at with that. I've never even heard of, of that software suite. It's actually pretty good. Like, unless you need something really fancy, like it gets the job done and it has some, you know, extra features. So if you're like a beginner filmmaker, I would mm. actually say that's a great place to start. And is that, uh, are you using it on Windows or Mac? Uh, Windows. I and, have and an Asus of... ZenBook. Asus okay. ZenBook Pro, yeah. And that's been handling it fine? Yeah, yeah. I've had this computer for about two years now, I would say. I used to be a big Mac computer person, but mm -hmm. when I really started taking into consideration the price differences for what you're actually getting, I mean, the Mac people will still probably argue with me, but I, I converted. I converted over to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, and you're definitely right, at least for the last maybe five years or so. Uh, I, I would say the new M1 MacBook Airs, uh, mm -hmm. at, you know, $1,000, they be have suddenly become a good value but definitely two years ago when you bought yours you would need to spend you know 1500 or two thousand dollars on a mac just to be able to to edit even yeah that's the thing yeah and so the dji's uh the cameras you use are you capturing audio off of that or do you have a microphone so I have a Rode uh, Micro that uh, I can plug into my Osmo Pocket because they did come out with a what do you call it? It's like an extra plug-in thing because the uh -huh. Osmo Pocket by itself, the original, didn't have the audio jack. But if you get this extra plug-in thing, you can make that happen. So if I know I'm going to be somewhere windy, I'll usually take the Osmo Pocket and plug in the Rode Micro. But with the uh, DJI Action, I just freehand it. I go with just the camera. And what made you use the, uh, the Action instead of a GoPro? Oh, uh, you know, I've, I've actually never used GoPro, but uh, just from some of the reviews I was reading when it came time to go between, I think it was the, the GoPro 8 or the DJI Action, I read more good reviews and liked the quality that I was seeing come out of the DJI Action instead of the GoPro. And I also really trust DJI as a brand because I have so much, so much stuff from them and I just, I just really like them. So I decided to go with them. Speaking of DJI, oh, very Mavic nice. Mini 2 here. Yeah. Very Did you nice. fly a drone at all? Yes. I, that was one of the first things I actually invested in as far as having a travel YouTube channel. I got the DJI Spark, like one of the first, you know, mm -hmm. drones that they have. And I've been using it ever since. I would like to uh, upgrade to the uh, Mavic Air 2 
probably in this mm -hmm. next year. But for now, the spark has actually been fine the last four years, basically. And has any countries uh, been kind of like reluctant to let you bring in your drone or fly it? Like, have you had any issues with that? I only had a bit of an issue in Kazakhstan. And it was weird because I got into the country, no problem. But when I was going in between Almaty and Astana, I think I went by train or something. <clears throat> and when they checked my bags, there was like one guy who was just giving me a hard time. He's like, you're not allowed to have a drone. You're not allowed to have a drone. I'm like, what are you talking about? I already got into the country. So obviously I'm allowed to. And so, yeah, we kind of had a bit of a dispute and he let me go. But uh, that was the only time that I would say it's been an issue. Were you, I'm, I'm trying to picture this, this argument. Was this in Russian or in English? Yeah, I was in Russian. <laughs> that's exactly how it went yes yeah luckily my my, my russian is not really good enough to have an argument i would just be like <laughs> that should be good enough honestly yeah sometimes i actually play dumb too like when i know i'm in the wrong but if i understand them in russian like <laughs> so i actually did that in turkey i was driving like a freaking idiot because at first off, i hadn't i hadn't driven a car in like four years and i was driving a new country um and I remember just like accidentally making like wrong, wrong U-turns onto like one-way street and like, and I didn't want to, you know, speak English uh, just because I don't want to, you know, make the Americans look bad. So I started just pretending <laughs> I was Russian and I was like, Izvini, <laughs> That's a great. And they would just kind of bat their eyes and just look around, like look at the other way because they're just so used to Russian tourists you know, acting like yeah. idiots in Turkey. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Well, it's been very fun uh, getting to know a bit about, about your background, about your travel. I look forward to hanging out in person uh, in a few days. Ironically, we're probably just like a, a few, like a kilometer apart from each other, both in the city center right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a small world at uh, the end of the day. And it's really cool just how many uh, people you can meet through doing this job. I don't know how you found it so far, but I found one of the best things about doing this is that I keep getting introduced to really interesting people and somehow we all end up being you know in the same countries at the same time so I think it's it's going to be great to meet you in person and uh, go on some adventures yeah I think it's been super fun and I definitely agree it's it's been uh, a great way to meet you know other travelers and other youtubers but it you know just to kind of make be completely honest uh, in the background it's like, I say no to way more people, especially if they're just starting out. It just, I think, I don't know if I'm just being a, a, like an asshole, but definitely like when someone has, you know, a channel that has, you know, either zero videos or just have like four videos and they want to do a collaboration or hang out. I'm always like, like, no, like, I don't want to be this person. Like we, we put in our groundwork. You got to put yeah. in your groundwork. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm glad you're, you're saying the same thing. And like, yeah, actually yeah. me and you have almost exactly the same amount of subscribers. Like I I've watched your videos. I actually like your videos. So I'm like, you know, what? I respect this person as a creator. Mm -hmm. I want to meet this person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my advice to, to anyone who's starting out is you got to cut your teeth. You know, d yeah. don't be offended if someone, you know, yeah, maybe you might get lucky. Uh, like Baldwin Microp definitely took me under his wing and I, I'm nowhere on his level, but we just happened to be friends first. Mm -hmm. 
And actually, the, this the story I never really told anyone publicly is he was going through this slump, like where he just didn't want to make videos anymore. He was just tired. He just like he was like, I'm just not in the mood. I'm just, you know I'm gonna stop filming, mm-hmm. and or at least take a, like a, a mega long break. And I said to him, I was like, well, man, like I really wanted to make a like video with you. Like, can you be in my video? And he's like, ah, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, and then we did this bicycle ride around um, somewhere in the kind of ghettos of uh, <laughs> of Kiev. And after that, you know, when he saw the the final product, saw the comments again, he was like, ah, oh, you know what? Actually, you know, I'm kind of I kind of want to get back into it now. But mm-hmm. he was still kind of like in a slump. And I was like, well, how about you know? I know this cool place in in Kharkiv. It's like the, the ghetto. It's you know Hata Zed. We gotta go. Let's let's do it together. And he had said that he would never have went there um, and, and made those films um, if it wasn't for having someone to kind of hang out with because he just was kind of like burnt out. And yeah. now that he's kind of reinvigorated, he you know he's making his own films, which are probably actually better than the ones I'm in to be honest. But like it was is a. Uh, it was like a symbiotic relationship, you know, like it was like a win-win mm-hmm. for both people. Yeah. Well, I think, I think at the end of the day, every person who does this full time is going to get burnt out and not feel inspired at some point. I think that's just inevitable. So it is great if you can have friends, you know, who are kind of on the same wavelength to maybe have you try something you wouldn't have thought of. And, you know, it's more fun to do it together. So it's, it's great that you guys can support each other like that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And so that's a, a good piece of advice to anyone uh, listening out there is if you are going to try to collaborate with someone, uh, think of what you know, what you bring to the table as well, how you can make it a, a win-win for, for both people. So totally. Lena, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, Thank look you. Look forward to, to hanging out. And if they want to watch your channel, check out your videos, uh, maybe get some makeup beauty tips. From a, yes, from absolutely. A... <laughs> so I have so many to share. <laughs> Where can they go? How can they find you? Uh, they can just check out my YouTube channel. It's Alina McLeod, M-C-L-E-O-D, because everybody just spells that completely wrong. Uh, they can check me out on there. Yeah, so that's Alina McLeod. No, yes, McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Das Vidanya Avidimsa, and uh, I'll see you in a few days. All right. Talk yeah. to you later. Bye, guys. So, bosses, real quick, I want to tell you more about this week's sponsor, Athletic Brewing Co. If you love beer as much as I do, but you can't always drink it for alcoholic reasons or for fitness reasons, like for me, this is why Athletic Brewing Co. is awesome. They make real craft beer. I've been talking about tasty, delicious, award-winning craft beer. That's non-alcoholic. So you can check them out. Check out all the award-winning flavors at athleticbrewing.com. You can use coupon code BOSS20 to save 20% off any six-pack or any order. And you actually get free shipping. Since it's non-alcoholic, you can get it shipped right to your door. You can also find it in stores. So you can check out athleticbrewing.com for a store finder. But just kind of give you an idea of some of the tasty beers. They have Run Wild IPA, Upside Down Golden Ale. You can even get a subscription box for from just $24.99 per month. That gives you a nice sampler. And you can check out the World Beer Awards winner. This one is the All Out Stout, and I'm a big fan of extra dark stouts. So check them out. They look cool, beautiful packaging, and I'm excited for you to try some of 
this Athletic Brewing Co.'s non-alcoholic brews. Use coupon code BOSS20 at checkout. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.